and uh, and if sometimes we lose a little structure uh, by fa- following the leading of God's Spirit, I trust that uh, He will bless us uh, as we try to uh, try to worship Him because it's so without uh, without God's Spirit in the in the service, uh, it's uh, it's a it's a waste of our time, and so it'll just all be of the flesh if it's uh, if it's not. God's Spirit's not present with what we try to do. So you pray for me this morning. Uh, as uh, we've mentioned fast, we've been looking through the book of Romans uh, and in greatly enjoying some of the things that we're learning and uh, re- discovering and rediscovering as some things as we uh, look through this book. Uh, and so uh, we'd stopped last week in the uh, uh, kind of in the middle of the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, I like to, uh, both for you and for the folks that might be uh, tuned into this, to go back and at least glance across some things real quickly uh, as we try to lead up to this. Because the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul changes his tone a little bit and expresses part of the, I guess, the agony that he has in writing this letter to the Roman church and the fact that uh, uh, he, he has a group of people here they're both Jews and Gentiles gathered here. There's obviously some uh, back and forth between them uh, as far as uh, the things that, one, they've accused Paul of preaching that uh, if we, uh, because uh, salvation comes by grace uh, and that uh, the grace covers our, covers our sins, then, you know, some, some of the people got the idea that, well, the more you sin, the more grace you have. And so they had accused Paul of preaching that. And Paul addresses that. Uh, to them and, and brings them all back to a common denominator and, and, and presses upon them that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God in uh, Romans chapter 3. Uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. Today I would say for this congregation and for those that might uh, be more likely tuned in today, you know we don't think of ourselves as being separated as Jews and Gentiles so much today, uh, although that is the uh, only two classifications of people that are mentioned really in scripture, you're either a, a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's all the non-Jews. Uh, uh, but uh, as we look at it today, you know, people are more in tune to uh, racial things, you know, black and white and different colors and so forth. So whatever we are uh, uh, here today, uh, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, and uh, and there's only, uh, only one way. And Paul points to these people and tells them uh, again uh, that Abraham who was, by the way, a Gentile when God called him uh, out of Ur of Chaldees. Uh, he might have been the father of the nation, uh, but he was just a, a pagan, uh, living in a pagan land uh, around pagan worship when God called him out. And God, God uh, through the Apostle Paul, makes the comment over in the, over in the fourth chapter of this same book of Romans. And again, I'm going to turn back quickly, kind of try to move some things. But there's one, there's a phrase that's mentioned here in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, I think is really important and pertinent. Some things we'll get into uh, here in the ninth and tenth chapters of the book of Romans because uh, Paul, uh, in writing this letter, and after he's pointed out to them in the uh, in the second and the third chapters uh, uh, that we've all sinned, we've all come short. 
doesn't matter uh, what your background, whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, uh, whatever it might be. And, uh, and no doubt there were those that uh, there, because there were Jews that were there, there were those that were pointing back toward Abraham, and Abraham's our father. Uh, and, uh, and Paul brings up here in the fourth chapter of this book of Romans and says, uh, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Uh, if, if he's justified by his works, in other words, if the things he does declares him to be a just man, a, a man who's, whose heart is after God, it says, you know, does he have right to brag? He says, well, he might have reason to kind of exalt himself to some extent, but not before God. Why? Uh, because all of his works, my friends, before God is not what's going to make him just before God. Uh, and as he, uh, as he goes on, he says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh, uh, uh, it is no more, it, <clears throat> him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If it was, a, if it was by our works uh, that we were made righteous before God, it would be a debt that God would owe to us uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to take us to heaven or to make us stand in just before him if it was by our works. Uh, but he says, even as David describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So now he's beginning to describe the fact that God has people that he's imputed righteousness to. And there's kind of some terms here that we need to get a grasp on. You know, there's more than one kind of righteousness mentioned in the, in the scriptures. Uh, kind of like uh, as we get into this in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, there's more than one type of salvation that's mentioned in the scriptures as well. Uh, and, and if people aren't able to uh, rightly divide the word of God and understand there's a righteousness that we have that's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross, him dying for us. We have his righteousness imputed to us, which makes us righteous before God. But there is a righteousness that you and I have by faith uh, as we walk in faith before God and as we follow faithfully after him. The righteousness of faith does not make us just uh, in an eternal sense before God, huh? but it does declare the work of imputed righteousness that he's worked in us uh, through the death and uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. So as he mentions over here about Abraham, I'm going to skip over to the 13th verse of this fourth chapter. He says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world, talking about Abraham, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, Abraham was blessed uh, to be uh, the the father of of uh, if if you I guess say say it this way the the father of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Abraham lived years before Jesus Christ. Yes, but he was in the lineage of Abraham, and it tells us here that he was blessed. This seed, he was blessed of this seed to be his uh, descendant uh, uh, in a in a fleshly sense. Because of his righteousness, because Abraham believed God. How did he believe God? When God said, get up and go to a land that I'll show you. Brother Derek was mentioning in the Bible study this morning. When Abraham, when God told Abraham, get up and go to a land that I'll show you. He believed God and got up and went. 
Uh, and that's, you're talking about trusting God. Uh, leave your family. Leave whatever other things you uh, have uh, has gone before. And you know God is calling us today to leave behind the things that of the flesh and of the world and to take up our cross and follow Him. He, he's still calling people today to go to a land that I'll show you. Go to a spiritual land, a spiritual kingdom, if you will. Go to a place that I'll show you and you shall find rest for your souls. So He says, uh, uh, For they which are of the law, for if, they, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Uh, it's so important that we grasp a hold of this concept, uh, how, how important faith is to you and I uh, today. Uh, and it's not that uh, like some people teach, uh, it's not that uh, our faith is what saves us uh, in an eternal sense. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, didn't, uh, uh, God didn't do a little bit of work uh, for us in our lives and then come back and expect us to have faith in Him so that we could complete the work. That's not the way, the way He did it. Uh, he paid the total debt by His blood and by His life on, on the uh, death on the cross. Uh, that's what saves us eternally. Uh, but there's a righteousness that we have by faith and we need to understand this morning that, uh, uh, that as we could turn over to Galatians 5, 22, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And so the faith that you and I have in God comes forth or is manifest in our lives uh, by the new birth. The new birth comes first, uh, and then uh, we follow after him in faith. So he says, uh, the day which are of the law be, for if they which be of the law be heirs, uh, faith is made void and the promise of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. This is the theme, one of the themes that Paul carries forth throughout this whole letter is that uh, all the law does for you and I, and I'm talking about uh, the, uh, the Ten Commandments law, I'm talking about uh, even the law service that was back there uh, in the Old Testament, all the law does for you and I is declare us guilty. You're guilty. <laughs> you know, you're a sinner. Uh, you're, you're an adulterer. You're, you know, you say, well, well, I've never been an adulterer and run around on my wife. Oh, no, but you've been an adulterer in the sense that you've run around on your husband, Jesus Christ. Uh, we've all run around on him and committed spiritual adultery, if you will, uh, uh, and not been faithful to him like we should. Uh, so uh, uh, whether we've lied or stolen or done other things, all the law does is declare you and I guilty. Uh, and the more you try to achieve a righteousness by keeping the law, the more miserable you become or there's, there's a couple things I think can happen to you. One, you either become more miserable because you realize it's almost, it's impossible, if you will, for us to keep the laws of God uh, to, a, to a jot and to a tittle and without fail, without ever telling a, a lie about something, uh, or without ever having an evil thought about someone. Or It's impossible. And if you're honest with yourselves, as we should be, if we examine ourselves and are honest with ourselves, you will feel a guilt, a condemnation, and the more you try to work and do the law, the more you're going to feel condemned of God. Or 
you'll begin to lie to yourself about what a lie is, or you'll begin to lie to yourself about what an evil thought is, and you'll justify yourselves by saying, well, it really wasn't a lie, or it really wasn't I, I stole something. I just borrowed it from them for a little while or, or something. You'll begin, so the, the consequences of trying to keep the law is one, you'll either begin to lie to yourself and justify, well, I'm really pretty good because I do it this way or this way, or the law will just declare you guilty and it'll weigh you down. I'll tell you, the, that is the reason that faith and trusting God and trusting the blood of Jesus Christ is so important to you and I. And so I was going to go through some more things in uh, 5 and 6 and 7 like I've done in times past, but you just go and look. Paul confessed in chapter 7 of the book of Romans uh, that uh, the best he could do, there was a, he found a law within himself uh, that uh, declared him guilty continually. And he found that uh, no matter how hard he tried, the things that he would do, he did not. And the things that he would not were the things that he did. And the more he realized that there was a law that condemned him, he began to, he cried out to God, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he, he concluded that seventh chapter by saying, I thank my God through Jesus Christ my Lord that I'm delivered from my sins. And so he realized that the only freedom that he could feel was through Jesus Christ. And he, he carries that theme over into Romans 8. Uh, and tells and tells us to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, uh, and tells us uh, you are of the Spirit. If, if God's Spirit's in you, then you're born of the Spirit of God, uh, and you belong to Him, and you cry out to Him, Abba, Father. Uh, and then He goes on and tells us uh, the suffering, the, the creature is groaning within itself, desiring to be delivered from this old flesh. And He says. You're saved by hope. And, the, and, the, and, now when, and maybe I don't know if I explained this as well when we were going through the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, but this salvation that comes by hope is not what delivers you to be in heaven one of these days. The salvation that comes by hope, my friends, delivers you from the pain and the agony of living right here, right now, and wondering, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death like Paul did? This, this hope that we have in Christ Jesus delivers us, our say, that word saved, Save simply means to be delivered, uh, uh, to be delivered from this old uh, agonizing body of pain and realizing I'm a sinner. And so Paul says there's a couple of things that saves us. He said, now, hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, what does he yet hope for? So we don't yet see the final deliverance of this old creature that you and I have, this fleshly body uh, that you and I have but we do see the fact that God has promised us and gave us assurance. And he said, that what, what is going to save you in this situation? In the, in the realizing I'm a sinner situation and realizing I can't do anything to save my... What is it? Uh, part of the answer is going to be this righteousness of faith that you and I have. And that this faith is going to tell you and me... A couple of things. One, and Paul lays this out in the end of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans whom he did foreknow, them he did also predestinate. And whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And whom he glorified. Uh, and he says, what shall we say to these things? If God be with us, who can be against us? 
So the assurance and the salvation and the, the, the saving by hope that we have is resting in the fact that God has promised us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's the promise. That's the assurance. That's the hope that you and I have. And in the meantime, you and I have prayer. And in and, and prayer, how does that work? The Spirit understands the groanings and the feelings of our infirmities. And He communicates that to the Heavenly Father. And He lifts our spirits up in times when we're agonizing. You know, we look around today, and it's been mentioned here, many people are talking about those that are sick, and those that are with cancer, and those that are having surgery, and those that are having this and that, and so forth. And you know, the weight of all that, the agony of living in a sin-cursed world, it drags you down. <laughs> and the only thing that's going to help you in this situation is to know the Spirit of God understands the feeling of your infirmities and he's communicating with the heavenly father and with Jesus Christ our interceder our intercessor uh, who's there seated on the right hand of the throne of God he understands that and he assures you there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God neither height nor depth or any other creature or, or powers or principalities. Nothing can separate you, nor life, nor death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That gives you assurance and hope to live here right now. <coughs> now, ninth chapter. Uh, quick, quick summary of the first part that I covered last week. Uh, in the ninth chapter, Paul begins to further agonize. While he reckons uh, and while he uh, has reckoned to us that we're sinners, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, uh, and recognize that there's a righteousness that we have by faith, and he pointed to that in the second chapter of the book of Romans, going back even a little bit further, that the Gentiles who, who, who do the works of the law, not because they had the laws of God, but because God had written his laws in their hearts and on their minds. They followed after, and you know what it was? It was the righteousness of faith that God had put in them that caused them to follow and to walk after God. Now he gets to this ninth chapter of the book of Romans, and he begins to agonize. Here, here he's already said, there's nothing that can separate us, Jews and Gentiles. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Then he begins to say, uh, uh, I, say I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption. I think that's probably one of the most important phrases in this first part of the ninth chapter because he not only defines that he's got a concern for the Israelites but it's a specific group of Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. He's already defined adoption in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans uh, uh, where he says, to wit the redemption of the body. So uh, to those Israelites who are, who are of the adoption, who have, been, uh, who have the promise, if you will, of the redemption of the body one day, Paul is in great sorrow for them. Why? He's already told us there's nothing that can separate them from the love of Christ, so why would he be in a continual sorrow for these people? The reason he was in sorrow for them was because they didn't know that Jesus Christ was Lord. Paul knew that there was a liberating effect of knowing that. 
and he had a desire for them to know the Son. So I, I come, I come, uh, I come around to this today. You say, "Well, that's a great story, brother Charles. It's all about Jews and Gentiles, and we're talking about the early church." How does that apply to us today? Are you, do you have friends and relatives and neighbors that don't know the love of Jesus Christ, but that you recognize something in them uh, that uh, maybe they're part of the adoption too? Maybe they have the redemption of the body. They have the promise that one of these days they're going to be uh, at home in heaven with our Lord, but they don't know why and they don't understand the deliverance that they can have right here in time. That's what Paul was concerned about. He was concerned about his fellow Jews that had, to, as he gets over, we get over into the 10th chapter, he, he recognizes and says, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So he recognized that they, had a, they were zealously working. Now these Jews were still working in their, uh, after the law. And they were still trying to follow the law. They were still trying to follow the law service. Even those that were probably here at the church at Rome that had, were kind of in the New Testament church, but they were still trying to achieve a righteousness which comes by the law. And Paul is telling them, he's, he's in sorrow for them, not because they're not saved. You know, a lot of people take this ninth chapter of the book of Romans and say, Paul was worried because these people weren't saved for heaven. No, Paul wasn't worried about their salvation and for heaven. He's already told you in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, now he goes on and further defines what he's talking about here. And here's what he says. He says, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and uh, of who concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they're not all Israel that are of Israel. That, that phrase, along with the... Uh, uh, the verse in the uh, second chapter of the book of, uh, of Romans, which tells us he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, uh, talking about the circumcision of the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and has the circumcision of the heart. And so he's beginning to define, according to New Testament teaching, what a true Israelite is. Uh, and he says, uh, they're not all Israel that are of Israel, uh, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. I mentioned this last Sunday. I love the nation Israel. You know, I've I've had a couple of chances to go over there and uh, and and meet some of those meet some of those people, and I'll tell you, I have a love for them, and I'm so thankful God used them as a nation to bring us the law and to bring us and to preserve His word that we have here today, and all those lessons that He taught to them that are examples to us for our learning today. I'm thankful for that. But He tells us here uh, that just because you're a natural Israelite and a descendant of Abraham does not make you a child of God, okay? Uh, and he says, uh, so, so while a lot of people, you know, and today in, in the modern church of America and across the world, a lot of people look at that little nation over there and say, that's God's nation over there. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm sure there's God's people over there in that nation of Israel and, and many of them that are faithful, uh, uh, but just because they're of Israel doesn't make them a child of God. And he says, uh, they, 
Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now there's a, I mentioned this last Sunday, but uh, we'll, we'll rehash it just a little bit to get into the latter ch- portion of this ninth chapter. Isaac was a promised child, and that's the, that's the total lesson of what's under consideration here. Isaac was a promised child. God promised I, uh, Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child and Isaac was that promised child, and Abraham and Sarah were not by the flesh able to have this child, so it took the direct intervention of God to make her womb alive again and to make Abraham able to have a child again. It took the direct intervention of God for that child to come into existence. And he tells us over in Galatians that we, like Isaac, are children of promise. Okay? How is, how is it we're like Isaac? Did, did God have to intervene in my mom and daddy's life or uh, in your life so that you could have children? Not at all. But he did have to intervene directly into your heart and into your life for you to be a spiritual child of God. That's, that's what the whole uh, third chapter of John is about, is how God works sovereignly. Uh, and that means nobody tells him how to run his business, okay? He, he, is, he has total power, total control, and nobody tells him uh, how to run his business, okay? Uh, uh, he is sovereign. And, and sovereignty also causes some, uh, I say causes some issues. The idea that we talk about God being sovereign leads to also some error that we find down here in the lower portions of this ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, uh, People uh, falsely accuse God in his sovereignty of working things that he didn't work, okay? But here he tells us God sovereignly had power to bring about Isaac, and God sovereignly has power to born you of the Spirit of God. Uh, And so, so what is our response to be to this? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> our, our response would be, Lord, I don't know why you love me. Can, can each of us look at the law and each of us see ourselves as sinners and, and as, as liars and cheaters and, 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 and uh, whatever else that we might be and say, why did God love me? And say, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, can, I can be thankful that he did. And I can try to live my life in thankfulness and in love for him. Okay, so he says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. You and I are are seeds of God because God promised it. And just like he promised Isaac... There was no way he was going to fail. He promised Abraham and Sarah they was going to have a son, uh, and they had a son. He promised, uh, my friends, Abraham, uh, that in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, And that seed was Jesus Christ. Uh, And you know what? In that seed, all the nations of the earth are blessed. Uh, And he brings forth children, uh, my friends, uh, that are blessed. Uh, We are the promised seed. For this is the word of promise. Now he begins to describe to us what this word of promise looks like. And this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. 
now he brings in the principle of election. What does election mean? Uh, election does not mean that God looked down through time and saw who was going to do good and, and chose them to be his elect family. Also, election does not mean that he chose simply uh, that election only applies to the Jews. And we're going to get to that. Uh, uh, a lot of people today will say, well, election just applies to the Jews. No, it doesn't. He uses, he uses Jacob and Esau as an example. But as we get further down in this teaching here, he's going to say you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that a, a, a letter written to the Romans 2,000 years ago, more or less, he answers questions that people are talking about still today. Uh, the very, the very th and, and he does more of that right here in, in this ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, but he says, uh, Rebecca, uh, conceived by one, even our father Isaac, and the children being not before the children were ever born. It wasn't like God uh, uh, waited for the children to be born and to see which one of them was going to be good, which one of them was going to be evil, and said, oh, I'm, I'm going to choose Jacob. Uh, well, uh, I mentioned last Sunday, you go back and look at Jacob and Esau, they were both pretty much scoundrels, okay? Uh, in fact, uh, uh, right after Jacob... Uh, uh, had gotten the birthright of Esau and fled from his father and his mother's house because he was afraid he was going to be killed by Esau. Then, and only then, did Jacob lay his head down upon a rock, and there he saw in a dream or in a vision that night, he saw a ladder, a ladder stretching from heaven down to the earth. And he saw angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And, and Jacob woke up. Uh, from that dream and realized that he was in the, that he was a blessed man of God and he built a little altar and put rocks there on it and poured oil upon it and began to worship God. Uh, this was after all this evil that he had done. Suddenly God appeared to Jacob in a dream and uh, told him, uh, you're a blessed man of God. And, and Jacob, uh, all of that I promised to Abraham, I'm also going to promise to you. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And this land here is going to be yours. It wasn't because he was good. It was because God was sovereign. Because God was, uh, uh, God was just and holy. Uh, and it, so it tells us here that the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, that it's not of works, no, no, it's not of works, but it's of God that calls. It's all about God and His purpose. God had a purpose, uh, and he, he worked that purpose uh, uh, in, in the hearts of men. It was said unto her, uh, before they were ever born, before they were conceived, uh, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, uh, and it's written in Malachi chapter 1, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God, uh, and, and we'll go on and look at this a little bit further, but God is just and holy. You know, let's, let's read the rest of this because this, is, again, is what people say. When, when you and I, maybe as, as students of God's Word, say, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And God loves people today, and there are those that he doesn't love. Uh, you know what people say to that, typically? That's not fair. Uh, well, let's read what God says here in his word. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? 
God forbid. Is, is God an unrighteous God because He chose to love one and not the other of these two twin brothers born of the same woman? And he says, God forbid that there's unrighteousness with God. God is righteous no matter what you say or what people may think. God is righteous in His choice. God is righteous in His judgments. And God is righteous in His, in his ways and doings. And he then goes on and proves that with some examples here uh, that are laid out in God's Word. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is sovereign. He will have mercy on whom he will and whom he, whom he doesn't. That You turn back over to the book of Exodus, you'll find over there that when this statement was made, uh, it was right after uh, Moses had been up on the mountain to Mount Sinai and God had given him the law and the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them. And Moses comes down the mountain and as soon as he gets down the mountain, uh, almost all the way, somewhere down the mountain, he hears the noise in the camp of Israel and he realizes uh, there's a commotion going on down there and uh, he finds out they've made a golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf, and Aaron, his brother, is right in the center of all this stuff, uh, and God has, has the children of Israel take that golden calf and, and grind it up and put it in their, in their food or their water, and he had them to eat it and drink it. <laughs> and then God had the Levites, or I say the Levites, the, the, the tribe that eventually became the tribe of the priesthood, the Levites killed 3,000 that day in the camp of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people in the camp of Israel deserve to be killed? All of them, right? Every one of them was guilty there that day. God had the Levites kill 3,000. He spared the rest, right? That's, that's then the next chapter after that, God, God says, uh, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In, in the, in the uh, Old Testament book of Exodus, I think he says, I will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So he tells us over there, that, you know why he spared the rest of them? It was his mercy. God, one of the great attributes of God is the fact he's a merciful God. You and I, you and I wouldn't be here today if God wasn't a merciful God, okay? Uh, and so he says, uh, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on I, whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Why did, why, what, made Jacob, what made Jacob different from Esau? God had mercy on Jacob. He didn't, have, he didn't have mercy on Esau. That mercy is the difference. And I think until you, until you and I, and I'm talking about we, until you grasp the fact that mercy is the operating factor here, it's not justice. Jacob did, you know, we can, we can kind of look over here and say, well, yeah, J uh, Esau got justice, uh, and the people that were slain, the 3,000, they got justice, but what about the rest of the crew? They got mercy, my friends. And that's what you and I got at the cross. Of G at the cross. 
We got the blood of Jesus Christ, which was paid our sin debt, and we got the mercy of Christ poured out upon us. So he says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even this same, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power on thee, and that thy and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. A lot of people will try to take uh, this this uh, portion of scripture about Pharaoh, and when it says it raised him up, uh, uh, and and talks about hardening Pharaoh's heart back there at the time that the uh, the plagues were coming upon Egypt, that somehow God made him do what he did. Well, my friends, God doesn't cause you and I to sin. Uh, and he didn't cause Pharaoh to sin. Uh, but you know what he did? That word hardened means strengthened. Uh, and you know what was strengthened? <clears throat> Pharaoh's flesh. That's what was strengthened. But God didn't, God didn't make him do what his flesh wanted to do already. Okay, that's my point. A Pharaoh was operating in the flesh, and he did exactly what the flesh wanted to do. But God raised him up. And I, I've said this in times past, and I'll, I'll say it again today, at least in my thought, in my mind. You know, you think about, of all the nations on the earth, the Egypt was a great nation. And I, from, a, from a fleshly standpoint, I mean, today we still marvel at the pyramids. We still marvel at the great works of the things that were done down there in Egypt. And, and, uh, and hist history and archaeology can only probably reveal a portion of what a great earthly nation they were. But they weren't so great that they could withstand God. And God raised up this Pharaoh, uh, and that he might show he had power, more power than Pharaoh. And you know what? Pharaoh, the Pharaohs like the, like the Caesars uh, in the Roman Empire, they thought they were God. They portrayed themselves as God here on earth. Uh, and they had many gods uh, there in Egypt. Uh, and uh, God raised this man up to show that he had that God had power. Uh, and he says, I, I have raised thee up that I might show my power unto thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. All right, so God is sovereign in all of this. Thou will, say, thou will then say unto me, why doth he yet find fault? Here is the Paul, you know, Paul is, a, you know, the kind of reasoning he's doing here in the ninth chapter. It's like he's having a conversation with himself. And that's a form of uh, what they call dialectic uh, argument. Uh, he's writing like he's having a conversation with himself and even presenting the arguments of the other side. And the other side will say, well, Pharaoh did what he did because God caused him to do that. No, 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 my friends. Uh, God is not, doesn't cause uh, people to sin. Uh, uh, and the, but here's what he says. Thou will say. Who? Those that were arguing back with Paul. Thou will say unto me, why doth he yet find, if God caused Pharaoh to do what he did, why does he yet find fault with Pharaoh? For who hath resisted his will? And if God is causing sin that grace might abound in here, why does God find fault and why does he punish the sinners? That's the, that's the whole question that's coming out here in this ninth chapter. And he says, Thou will say that unto me, why did he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his, resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Who are you, who am I, to sit here and judge God and say, God, why, why did God do it that way? 
Why did, why did God raise up a Pharaoh and then, then uh, uh, strike, him strike him down? Why did God raise up a man and bring him to power that he might show his power? And nay, but old man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? God, why did you, why did you make me? Yeah, uh, I've got a I've got a limp. I've got I've got a I've got a uh, bad arm. I've got a bad this. You know, uh, maybe I was born with a limp. Maybe I was born with a lisp. Uh, maybe I was born uh, uh, blind. Maybe I was born with a hearing problem. Oh, why have you made me this way, God? Uh, why should I have to suffer like this? And he goes on and gives us an example. He says, uh, "Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor?" and another to dishonor. This, this portion of Scripture, again, is probably misused, okay, to, to, in the way it's portrayed as to what's happening. Think about, uh, think about a lump of clay that the potter, potter has, and he brings it on the wheel, and it's the same lump of clay. Uh, can, is, is the clay going to say, why did you make me this way? Well, some, some, some of the times that clay just molds right into the potter's hand. You know, he's pumping the wheel, you know, and he's molding it. And uh, I was watching somebody the other day on, on, a, on a YouTube thing somewhere. And, you know, he was learning to, wanted to learn to make pottery, and uh, he gets the lump of clay out there. And the guy was showing him exactly what to do and how to mold it and how to get the right amount of water in there. But every time he'd get it up to a certain point, that thing would collapse and fall in on itself, you know. And, and uh, just the best the old guy could do, you know. He finally got a few made, but he had trouble with it. He wasn't an expert at the wheel like that, uh, uh, like that man that did it every day. Uh, and, you know, uh, even that man that does it every day, uh, there's some there's some vessels that he sets aside. Maybe he sells and brings great honor to them. Others, you know, he looks at it and says, eh, "Well, that one didn't turn out. To, that one wasn't quite as good." He puts it over in the over in the junk pile somewhere, you know, uh, uh, like that. But uh, he goes on and tells us here, God made, took that one lump, and some vessels he well he tells you why some vessels were made to honor. And some vessels were not honorable. I, I, I put it this way. You know what? <clears throat> All the vessels were dishonorable except the ones he had mercy on. All of them were dishonorable because they all came from the same lump of clay. You and I all came from the same lump of clay. That's a fellow by the name of Adam. And we were all dishonorable. And if it wasn't for mercy... My friends, there would be none of the pots spared. None of our pots would be worthy of anything if God hadn't had mercy on it. And he tells us that right here. He says, Hath not the potter a power over the clay of the same lump to make one's vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Uh, he, he, what did he do? He chose, he chose one group of vessels before they had ever done any good or evil. Just like he's talking about Jacob and Esau. Before they had ever done any good or evil. While they were still a lump of clay. Before they had ever turned out good or bad or anything else. He ordained some of those vessels to glory. 
and the rest were fitted for destruction. And God suffered the vessels fitted for destruction. He's long-suffering with those that he might show glory on the ones that are before prepared. So he says, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared for glory. Even us, here's, here's, here's another one of those things addressed. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. For all those people out there that believe the ninth and 10th and 11th chapters of the book of Romans was written just for the Jews, I got news for you. Paul says right here in this 24th verse uh, uh, that uh, those vessels of mercy uh, are both of Jews, or not to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. <clears throat> he has said also in O.C., you say, Where is, what is O.C.? Well, that's Hosea, by the way. <laughs> he says, uh, he hath said in O.C., uh, and you can check it out. Uh, the last verse, I believe it is, of the second chapter, uh, and about the uh, ninth or tenth verse, uh, 23rd verse of the second chapter, and about the tenth uh, or eleventh verse of the first chapter of the book of Hosea, he says exactly what he repeats here. As he saith also in Hosea, or O.C., I, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. Hosea, as you know, if you go back and read the book of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet to the children of Israel. And you know what? Uh, God, God wanted uh, Hosea to understand how God felt so that he might could deliver the message to the children of Israel. And so uh, he, had, uh, he had Hosea uh, marry a woman uh, uh, of ill repute, if you will, uh, and uh, to make her his wife, and as she ran, on, ran around on Hosea, her husband, and had children by other men while she was married to Hosea, Hosea began to understand what it was like to be the God of Israel, okay? And, uh, and he, uh, but, he, but he tells there in the book of Hosea, he says, I'm going to call her beloved who was not my beloved. And I'm going to call her my people which were not my people. Uh, you could sit there and look at it in the sense of look at, uh, look at Hosea. He was a daddy to some children that wasn't even his children, okay? Uh, and, and God, my friends, called the Gentiles beloved even though they weren't his people uh, before, before they were. And he says, uh, says this, you're my people, uh, you're not my, therefore they should, Let's go back and read this. Uh, as he saith, verse 25 in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not my beloved, and it shall come to pass in that place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, and a remnant shall be saved. Today in the world me and you live in, I think about this uh, as I was reading some of this. Uh, my grandma used to sew, okay? And, and she'd go to the store and she'd buy cloth and uh, she'd make her own dresses. And when I, 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 I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I never had a store-bought shirt, if I did very few of them, 
up until the time I was about the fifth or sixth grade in school because my grandma lived next door and she made all my shirts for me uh, and so forth. And she was a seamstress back in the days when, when women uh, were real. Uh, my wife can sew. Uh, and I and she's okay, but uh, to sit down and she she could probably take a pattern and make a dress or whatever, but she didn't do it. Back in that day, it was required to do it. If the if folks were going to have clothes, they were required to go and and buy their own cloth and make their own. Uh, and they learned how to. Uh, I remember watching my grandma when I was little, and she'd take she'd take that pattern and she'd pin that thing in certain places uh, onto the cloth because she knew how to take that pattern and neck it down to her size. Okay, and she'd cut that cloth out so that it would sew together and fit her. But you know what? When she got done. She always had some remnants. They were little remnant pieces left. The remnants is usually what I got for for shirts or whatever. Uh, you know, it was it was, it was uh, the remnant pieces that were left over. Got, uh, uh, Paul uses the example of Isaiah in Isaiah here, and he says, uh, uh, "Isaiah cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the say, sea, a remnant shall be saved." Now, again, if this salvation is all talking about uh, uh, eternal salvation and being home in heaven one of these days in glory, uh, uh, then, uh, uh, then there's just going to be a, a remnant there. Well, I don't believe that. Uh, and I got uh, evidence over in the book of Revelation where it tells us uh, uh, that uh, God's people that uh, John saw over there that day were as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the sky, okay? Gr a great innumerable host that no man can number. Here he tells us, uh, Isaiah cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Talking about to see the gospel and see the blessedness of this Savior, Jesus Christ. We have that affirmed for us over in the 11th chapter. When we get all the way to the 11th chapter of this book of Romans, he's going to say he blinded some but there are some that still see, okay? Uh, in fact, he tells us over there that the, the children of Israel uh, uh, are talking about they are actually enemies for the gospel's sake, but they're beloved for the, ele for the sake of election, okay? So he, he narrows this thing down again and again for us so that we can see God is sovereign both for the Jews and the Gentiles. He called them his beloved who was not his beloved uh, because he loved them before the world ever was. Uh, uh, and he tells us here that out of, the, out of Israel, uh, he says there's going to be a remnant that's going to be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. <clears throat> He was just here, you know, when you think about the big scheme of things, his, you know, and here we are 2,000 years later, uh, Christianity is spread across the globe, uh, and, uh, and, but Jesus' work here on the earth was three and a half years. Three and a half years, and out of that we've got, we've got scriptures laid out of here, and John, John even tells us in the last verses of the book of the Gospel of John that if all he had said and done had been written down, the world and the books of the world couldn't contain it all. That's how much he did in that three and a half years. But he says, Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth, that's a, uh, by the way, a lot of people read that and they say the Lord of the Sabbath. That's not what's under consideration here. This is not the Lord of the Sabbath. This is Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. 
uh, which is one of the names of God. He's the host of hosts. Uh, the Lord Sabaoth, a Lord of Sabaoth, had left us seed. Oh, by the way, the Lord of hosts. Think about that heavenly host. Think about all those angels, all those people around the throne of God. The Lord of, if the Lord of hosts had not left us seed, we had been as Sodom and Sodoma and made like unto Gomorrah. If it hadn't been for God sending us a seed, Jesus Christ, and dying for us and shedding His blood upon the cross, you know what me and your, mine, your end would be. Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> burnt to a crisp, my friends, uh, uh, burned up, uh, f fire raining down, whatever you want to think about, that would be our end, except for the fact God left us a seed. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, talking about they didn't have the law, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Now you know why I turned back to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans this morning so that you could really see that Abraham had what? A righteousness which was of faith. Uh, and he says the Gentiles, even though they didn't follow after the righteousness of the law because they didn't have, a, have the law, have attained the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Now, the righteousness which the Gentiles had attained by faith is not the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ which was given to you and I through the new birth by his death upon the cross. It's a righteousness they attained by doing the works that God had written in their heart. You and I can attain to this righteousness today by following after God. You hear people talk all the time, walk in the Spirit. Walk, walk not after the... When we're walking after the Spirit, we're walking after the righteousness of faith. Why? Brother Derek mentioned it this morning. We've got to trust God and have faith in Him because you know what? We do not see everything in total, final totality. Even though I read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I didn't see it. Uh, even though I read about heaven and about Him coming in the clouds and, and, and the graves opening up, I haven't seen it. I trust it by faith. Just like Abraham trusted by faith that God was going to give him a land that he had never seen, you and I are going to have a home that we've never seen. We're going to have glorified bodies that we've never experienced. Uh, bodies that don't have cancer. Bodies that don't have uh, uh, pains and ailments and aches. Don't have sinus trouble and hurt necks and all those. We're, we're going to enjoy that one of these days and we can follow after the the teachings of Jesus Christ and attain a righteousness which is of faith. Gen the Gentiles, he says, he's describing here, had attained to that. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because the law, you cannot achieve the righteousness of faith by trying to do it by the law. By trying to say, I'm going to do this you know, and it's kind of like following the ten-step procedure. You know, uh, you know, you can take a, you can take anybody that has got a brain uh, and can read instructions, and they can follow the steps. You know what? But they can't. In the, in the when it comes to the law, they can't keep it all. It's a continual, never-ending thing to try to keep your mind right and your heart right and your walk right and your speech right and your love right and your charity right. It's just impossible to do all that. And he says, Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness, 
Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. You and I can try to can do some good things, but we do it by faith and by belief in Jesus Christ, not because it's written down and we've got the ten steps to follow after. He says, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone. Uh, and that's, uh, if you want to get over and look at that, I believe it's written in the 118th Psalm. He says, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. God has always pointed toward the rock. You know, I was thinking as I was reading back through this and, uh, and looking at where he quoted, you know, about uh, Moses and what Moses did and what Pharaoh did and reading back in Exodus, right there in that same portion of Scripture, right after he had slain the 3,000, he called Moses back up on the mountain where he was going to give him another set of, of, uh, of the Ten Commandments this time, you know. And, uh, and Moses desired to see God. Moses wanted to see God. And, 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 and the Lord said, uh, Moses, no man's seen me. And the Bible talks about him talking to God as a man. God, first of all, God, God uh, Moses put the tabernacle and put it outside the camp. God came down in a pillar of fire and talked to Moses, the Bible says, in that terminology, face to face. Okay, He talked to him like a man. Man, what a great, can you imagine? I, I don't know that I can imagine this morning being able to talk to God. Uh, I'd be scared to death. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, as he did, uh, then he carried Moses back up on the mountain. And, Mo and Moses says, I would like to see your glory and see you face to face. And he says, Moses, no man has seen my face and lived. But you know what he told him then? He said, there's a rock by my side. And he says, I'll place you on that rock. Do you see it? Do you see the rock this morning? He says, I'll place you on that rock. And he says, not only that, I'll place you in the cleft, the crack in the rock. I'm going to put you in the cleft of that rock, and I'm going to put my hand on you, Moses, and so that you can't see my face. But he says, as I pass by, I'll remove my hand and allow you to see my hinder parts. You and I have been placed on a rock. We've been placed in the cleft of the rock where we get a glimpse of the glory of God. And even though we don't see him face to face, we get a glimpse of that glory, my friends. But you know what? The Jews were stumbling at the stumbling block. They did not see that there was a rock that they had been placed on. And so then I'm going to read the first part of 10 and stop, okay? And we'll get into that next time. He says, brethren, my heart, this same group of brethren now is the same ones he addressed that he had sorrow for. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul wasn't worried about their eternal destiny. Paul had already said in the 8th chapter, there was nothing that could separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He says, for I bear them, his brethren, record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness by the law, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Boy, I'm telling you, he tells you and I over and over again, we can't get there. 
by our own works. It's of Him that calleth. It's God that has chosen us and called us and elected us and saved us and redeemed us. Now let us walk by the righteousness of faith. May God bless you uh, till we finish this out uh, and talk some more about it. And then somewhere along the way, we're going to talk about the importance of prayer and how important prayer is to us in our daily lives and to our, to our godly living. May God bless you this coming week is our prayer.